Hello and welcome to a Thursday afternoon. <clears throat> this is Bill Allen uh, clearing my throat a little bit and glad to see you joining in with me as we study God's word this afternoon uh, or whenever it is that you are <clears throat> joining in with us. We actually got some wonderful rain this morning in Tyler, Texas. It was a very fast rain, but a very hard rain. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm not sure how long it was or how how uh, how many uh, inches we got probably a half an inch someone said but it was welcome nonetheless and the temperature was a very nice 68 or so in the car on my way in this morning so that was a great great blessing um, I hope that you're doing well and I'm excited about our study today it is the study uh, that will take us into the book of Isaiah <clears throat> a little bit later but for right now uh, we're going to turn to the book of 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 33. Recently, we've been reading and studying about King Hezekiah in our daily Bible reading and in these sessions as well. And, um, and King Hezekiah was a great man. We looked at a couple of his wonderful, wonderful prayers last Tuesday, this past Tuesday, where he prayed for God to heal him when he had heard that he was to put his house in order because he would die and not recover from the illness he was experiencing. <clears throat> but then he also uh, laid it out before the Lord when he received a letter uh, from the Assyrian leaders and uh, threatening the kingdom of, of Judah and Jerusalem, where King Hezekiah reigned. And uh, he went to the temple, slayed it out before the Lord, and God heard his prayer and delivered his people. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, not quite so blessed because they did not... Uh, follow uh, the prophets uh, preaching and ministry and ended up being taken into Assyrian captivity. So that was King Hezekiah and then he dies and his his epitaph is is pretty amazing. It says all Judah and the people of Jerusalem honored him when he died. And so Hezekiah was seen as a very faithful, not a perfect leader, but a very faithful uh, man of God who led God's people. And then we come to his son. His son is Manasseh, and so we're just going to read this in, in 2 Chronicles 33. It's, a, it's really, all things considered, a very brief report of the life and uh, leanings of King Manasseh. Um, so 2 Chronicles 33, beginning at verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and, the, and we've seen that before, and we'll see it again, such as with King Josiah. And which uh, Manasseh will be, uh, Josiah will be uh, his uh, grandson. And Josiah, like Hezekiah, very faithful king. But also like Hezekiah, his son struggled. And Manasseh is going to struggle. And the key with a young king, Manasseh, for example, age 12, is that he has people around him that will help. Faithful men of God, women of God who will uh, encourage him to follow the word of the Lord and to keep his law close to his heart and to lead God's people in ways that are just and moral and faithful to the Lord. And uh, unfortunately, Manasseh obviously did not have that. Uh, not to make excuses for him, he's still responsible for his actions. As we're going to see, God does definitely hold him accountable. Uh, but it's also a call for all of us to be to remember that that example and that mentoring and that encouraging that we can do for others is so very vital and important. Again, 2 Chronicles 33.1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. That's a long time. 
He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Sad commentary on the reign of Manasseh, at least at first. Verse 3, he rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. Remember, Hezekiah led the people in uh, a, a great restoration of the temple, of the temple worship, of faithfulness. The people were all excited. They kept the Passover. It was a, an amazing time, north and south. Uh, people from the northern kingdom of Israel and those tribes came down even. They were wanting to be faithful to the Lord. Uh, but his son, Manasseh, uh, comes along and, and rebuilds all those uh, places of idolatrous worship that his father, King Hezekiah, had destroyed. Um, he also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles, the gods and goddesses of the Canaanites. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. Verse 4, he built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, inner and outer, uh, he built altars to the, all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hanam, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. Verse 7, he took the image he had made and put it in God's temple, of which God had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land I assigned to your ancestors. If only, God had said, they will be careful to do everything I commanded them concerning all the laws, decrees, and revelations given through Moses. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. He was so evil, and he led the people to become so evil and idolatrous and immoral and unjust that the commentary is they were even more evil than the pagan nations around them. A horrible commentary on God's people. And so now, 2 Chronicles 33, verse 10, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria. Remember, Assyria is the world power still. They haven't been completely destroyed, and the Babylonians haven't quite taken over. And so even though they did not carry off uh, the southern kingdom of Judah uh, into captivity in the days of Hezekiah, they were threatening, and now they threaten again. Verse 11, So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. That sounds horrible when you read it, and yet it's a, a thousand times more horrible if you think of this king uh, that had been leading God's people and reigning in Jerusalem in King Solomon's uh, temple and the palace that was there that King David had built, and, and yet um, it was not uh, to be. Verse 12, in his distress, Manasseh sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Manasseh had turned away from the Lord and followed all the other gods of the Canaanites and the other people of the land and had done all kinds of detestable things. 
and uh, and so the Lord disciplined him and and had the Assyrians come and uh, attack and defeat him and take him uh, in the worst of circumstances uh, away from his uh, homeland and and so there just like Jonah did in the belly of the big fish uh, there away in exile and in prison Manasseh prays he pours out his heart to the Lord and repents and sure enough the Lord hears his plea and delivers him and brings him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom and then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God okay so that's one thing it's one thing to recognize oh man I really messed up I I need help God please deliver me please help me please save me and then when he does what happens then well that's the great thing about King Manasseh in verse 14 of 2nd Chronicles 33 afterward after he had returned to Jerusalem by the power of the Lord afterward he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David west of the Gihon spring in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate and encircling the hill of Ophel he also made it much higher he stationed many military commanders in all the fortified cities in Judah he built up the country again after the Assyrians had defeated them verse 15 he got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem, and he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. The people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. So Manasseh becomes king very young, and he, he takes away all the good that his father had done. And he rebuilds the high places of worship and uh, uh, desecrates the temple of the Lord and is involved in all kinds of uh, detestable things. And God sends him as a prisoner away from, uh, from Jerusalem. And there he repents, and he asks God's forgiveness, and he goes back. He is, he is brought back by the power of the Lord and the grace and mercy of the Lord to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he builds up the city again, helps it make it stronger after the Assyrians had attacked, and he also destroys some of the high places that he had built. He goes back and he once again cleanses the temple, pretty much probably just like Hezekiah's father had done, and offers up uh, fellowship offerings and other offerings according to the law of Moses faithfully. Uh, and he encourages all of the people around the nation to do the same. And the scripture says, well, they, they did worship the Lord, but they did it sometimes on those high places of uh, false worship where uh, the, uh, the Canaanite gods were worshiped as well. And so Manasseh makes a big 180 degree turn and God hears him. And Manasseh appreciates the forgiveness and the restoration and the deliverance so much that he continues to act the way God had wanted him to act as a good and faithful king from the beginning. Verse 18, the other events of Manasseh's reign, including his prayer to his God and the words the seers spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, are written in the annals of the kings of Israel. We, I don't know that we have that specifically other than what we've just read. Uh, Second Kings gives a very similar description of all of these things. His prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty as well as all his sins and unfaithfulness and the sites where he built high places and set up Asherah poles and idols before he humbled himself. 
All these are written in the records of the seers. Manasseh rested with his ancestors and was buried in his palace, and Ammon, his son, succeeded him as king. Manasseh is a great story. It's a terrible story at first, but then he humbles himself just he humbles himself just as it said, and he begins to follow God and he follows him faithfully as best we can tell until his life uh, finally ends. And that's probably why he has such a long reign uh, because he came back, God knew his heart, and he humbled himself and repented and acted faithfully as king. Well, it's a great story in Second Chronicles 33, and it's a reminder to us to live faithfully and obediently, but also a reminder to us that just as King David had done, uh, when he repented and, and expressed that penitence in Psalm 51 in such a marvelous way, Manasseh does the same thing and is received and delivered and forgiven, and we can do the same thing. We can pray to God. Uh, for forgiveness and that he would help us and deliver us and see us through whatever's ahead for us and he will and we all need that reminder regularly sometimes more than at other times well Isaiah I want us to turn to Isaiah 41 because Isaiah is so funny sometimes as he talks about some of these false gods and goddesses that Manasseh struggled with that King Solomon had struggled with and uh and later on, uh, the Israelite kings that will follow him will struggle with. But Isaiah is very quick to point out that there's only one God, and it's the Lord. It's Yahweh. It's Jehovah, the great I Am. He's the only one. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. All of these other things are just man-made stuff, and they're not gods at all. And sometimes, like uh, Elijah had done at Mount Carmel, he gets a little bit sarcastic, I think. Isaiah 41, beginning at verse 7, is an example of that. Isaiah 41, verse 7. The metal worker encourages the goldsmith, and the one who smooths with the hammer spurs on the one who strikes the anvil. One says of the welding, it is good. The other nails down the idol so that it won't topple. <laughs> but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. Abraham, my friend. Isaiah 41, verse 8. I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah gets very sarcastic. He talks about the, the uh, metal worker and the goldsmith and the, the man swinging the hammer and and he has to nail down this idol that they have made so that it won't topple. And then they bow down to it and say it's their God. Isaiah says, most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. People, come on. And we get that. And that's exactly the truth. And yet God is the creator of, of everything that has ever been created. The universe, as big and wonderful as it is, is, is tiny in comparison with the one who made it, with the creator uh, that cannot be seen but is certainly there and present with us. And one day we will see him. John reminds us in 1 John, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. What an incredible thought. And of course, that great apocalyptic vision that we read about in the book of Revelation. Well, Isaiah is quick to say, Israel, you are my servant. In the book of Isaiah, uh, sometimes it's Israel that is the servant of the Lord. Sometimes it's Isaiah himself that is the servant of the Lord. And sometimes, as we're going to be seeing, 
um, next week, next Tuesday. It is a special servant, uh, a special anointed one. They called the king the anointed one. The prophets were anointed with God's Holy Spirit. But there was one who was to come who would be the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ in Greek. And he would be a, a special, special uh, one. And that is the servant of the Lord that we'll read about uh, on Tuesday in great passages such as Isaiah 40 and Isaiah uh, 53. Uh, so all of these great blessings Isaiah will talk in the chapters to come, uh, looking ahead to King Cyrus of Persia, who long after uh, Isaiah is gone, the Babylonians will come and carry off the nation of, of Judah into captivity and uh, destroy Jerusalem. And the people there will repent and they will find that inner uh, uh, penitence to follow God once again with their whole hearts and commit their lives to him once again. And, and he restores them. And he restores them because of King Cyrus of, of the Medes and the Persians. And he is the one who will declare it's okay for the Israelites to go back. Well, Isaiah, decades before all of that happens, sees him, announces him by name in Isaiah chapters 44 and 45. And he calls on us in those chapters to remember these things. Remember who is really and truly the Lord God. Manasseh figured that out finally after uh, turning away from God and being punished in a very, very difficult way, he recognized his sin and he repented and he changed. That's what that word means. And he sought God's pleasure and God's forgiveness and God's deliverance and God brought it. And when he did return, he followed God wholeheartedly. May we all do exactly the same. I hope you have a good weekend. I will see you next Tuesday. God bless.